Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first Eco Business podcast. I'm Jessica Chiam, managing editor of Eco Business, and I'm excited to introduce the first in a series of discussions about the world of sustainable business here in Asia Pacific. We're here today in our brand new studio at the SDG Collaborative in Singapore. The SDGs stand for the Sustainable Development Goals, a set of development targets adopted by members of the United Nations that address poverty, hunger, and inclusive growth. To kick off our first eco business podcast, we have here today managing director of ABB in Singapore and Southeast Asia, Johan De Villiers. Johan has been in this role since 2015 and is responsible for leading the business in this region. ABB is one of the world's leading companies in electrification products, robotics and motion, industrial automation and power grids, serving customers across the utility, transport and infrastructure industries globally. A 125-year-old company, ABB today is writing the future of industrial digitalization and driving the energy and fourth industrial revolutions. Which brings us nicely to the theme of this first series and is also ABB's new tagline, Let's Write the Future. So Johan, let's get this conversation started. Tell me about ABB's interest in the fourth revolution and why it's important to Asia. Hi, Jessica. Uh, well, ABB is a technology company. We make technology and we use technology in almost everything that we do. So the fourth industrial revolution is is partly, and I think. It would be very arrogant to say made by us, but we make a strong contribution to it. And uh, it drives very much everything that our customers do and what we do as a company. It's not new. Technology and technology revolutions are not new to us. ABB has existed for over 100 years. And for more than 40 years, we've been designing and building software and connectivity into our devices and systems already. So this has been coming a long way. Uh, with the result that today we have about 70 million devices communicating something to something uh, out there in the world. We've got about 70,000 distributed control systems in operation at the moment, making an industrial plant somewhere operate more efficiently and effectively. We've got about 6,000 enterprise software solutions in operation around the world. Um, so while this is a revolution because the speed of things is changing and a lot of technology is developed in a very short space of time, this is not all new and in some ways it's kind of an evolution. Um, so yeah, technology is in our DNA, digital is in ABB's DNA today and it's very much of what we do. Um, maybe the second part of, of the question is how, how to translate this into better lives for people in Asia. Um, I really believe that man has always used tools and equipment and technology to better its plight, to make things faster and more efficient and, and better um, and more interesting. And this has helped drive economic prosperity over the ages. Um, but there's always been two problems, I think, and, and, or at least in the recent past. And the one is inclusive, inclusivity mm -hmm. has been a, a big problem. And you see rich people getting richer. And I'm not sure we really help the poor in the recent past. And the second one is sustainability. So we're on a path at the moment that is not sustainable and, and really harming the earth with the way in which we use technology and the way we use that to drive economic growth. So um, I truly believe that for every question or every challenge we've got um, today, technology can make a substantial contribution to solve those problems, both on, um, in terms of uh, 
inclusivity and in terms of uh, sustainability. It very much depends on how we use that. Um, so, and then particularly about Asia. Asia is one of the fastest growing um, parts of the world and, and parts of the regions of the world. And um, with countries like China, Japan, Singapore not far behind, uh, we see massive adoption of technology to drive this economic growth and to improve the betterment, uh, for the betterment of all the peoples of these countries. So I think being in ABB and being in, a in Asia is really being at the melting point of this industri fourth industrial revolution, which is super exciting. I think that's really exciting that you've, you've touched mm. on, you know, the Asia growth story. Mm. I was just in Cambodia mm. in May, you know, for the World Economic Forum on ASEAN, yeah. and it was all about the fourth industrial revolution. Mm. But I suppose the question on everyone's mind really is, you know, apart from the companies, well, the mm. governments that are trying to drive this industrial revolution, how does the average person on the street relate to the revolution? How are they going to be touched by this technology? And yeah. how does ABB see its role as mm. trying to engage um, you know, people or improve the lives of people as yeah. they become more familiar with this new trend. Yeah, I, I truly believe it will touch every single person on this planet's life. You know, the technology has become absolutely pervasive and it's not so much driven by governments or by industry or the military as it was in the past, but it's really a consumer revolution. Um, a couple of examples. I think schools is going to change completely and the way education reaches people even in very remote parts of the world is, is one area that will really um, affect and positively impact many, many people. Um, I think another trend that you see is um, that the fourth industrial revolution is putting data at the forefront and putting data in the hands of consumers. And uh, I think there's quite a battle around the ownership of data at the moment, but I think that's incredibly powerful when people understand the impact they personally make on the planet or in society. I mean, just think about your home and just uh, in a, a very personal example, I, I drive an electric car and I get a little app on my phone that shows me exactly my consumption patterns. It shows exactly my driving style. I can see between me and when my wife drives the car, mm -hmm. who has a better... So it, it's interesting how that influences your behavior and, and how it brings to your attention things that, that matter. So I think data is going to affect many, many people. I mean, think about health data mm -hmm. and just being able to, to be aware of activity levels and um, being able to manage um, you know, uh, chronic conditions, medication. So there are many, many positive impacts that this fourth industrial revolution will have on mankind. And those are just a few examples. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. But you know, in Southeast Asia, a lot of countries are still developing. So how do you envision the infrastructure being built such that the citizens can tap into the advantages of the fourth industrial revolution? I mean, we're talking about internet penetration, we're talking yeah. about physical infrastructure as well mm -hmm. as digital infrastructure. How is that going to be built in countries that are still actually still struggling with poverty here? In the yeah. Region? Well, the beautiful thing with, with modern technology is, well, traditionally we had to wait for um, the grid development, for example, to reach remote communities because before they had electricity. Today, with microgrids, that's possible immediately. Um, and then connectivity, you know, with uh, so much connectivity available through smartphones and through satellite and data communications that doesn't need uh, uh, huge investments in, in infrastructure and um it, it, uh, investments in infrastructure that takes a long time. So you can very quickly reach remote communities with connectivity and with electricity. 
And that has a dra- dramatic effect on how you educate people and the kind of jobs that, that people can have. So I really believe that in, in some parts of Southeast Asia where um, there's still a lot of development potential, there's a real potential for, the, for leapfrogging, mm-hmm. for really not having to wait the decades that previous generations have had to wait for basic infrastructure to arrive, to educate yourself, to be able to have proper sanitation, um, you know, and to have sustainable energy. And I mean, leap, it really is leapfrogging because the power sources will be more sustainable and... Um, that's, imagine growing up, living with sustainable energy sources. It's a different future that you're walking into. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. Who's going to pay for it, though? I mean, the question I always have is some of these communities are really poor. So is it the private sector driving the growth? Is it governments driving the growth? Who's, who's funding it? Yeah, well, maybe the first comment I make is that um, if you compare government's options at the moment, building the grid to reach remote communities or deploying solar or microgrids, uh, the price points have fallen dramatically. If you look at the curve at which um, solar panels prices have fallen from, I don't know, 70 plus dollars to 30 US cents, um, you know, the price at which um, uh, the inverter technology, the prices at which a lot of the other technologies have fallen, it, it really has made this the most affordable option, I believe, today for remote communities. Um, and think about having to ship large quantities of diesel to remote islands in Indonesia, you know, and just the pollution and the cost of shipping all of that and then burning fossil fuel. So I believe that it's already more attractive for governments to adopt this technology in remote communities than it is to look at conventional fossil fuel burning technology today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a education piece that has to happen um, and making sure that decision makers are really informed, do their calculations on an equitable basis um, because there's a lot of subsidies that sometimes cloud what the real cost is of, of doing business. But that the potential is there today on a cost-equitable basis that is, I'm, I'm convinced of that. Mm, fantastic. So maybe let's go back to this promise that ABB has made. Let's write the future. You know, we've seen exciting technologies such as collaborative robots, AI, data analytics and electric transport infrastructure. So which aspects of this are you most excited and optimistic about? Well, it's difficult to pick favorites, but maybe before I jump into some of the specific things that we do at ABB, I'm generally excited about the future that we are writing because with modern technology, I see a few things happening. I already see that our industry and specifically our company is becoming more attractive for young people. So millennials are keen to join a company that has a cause. And with modern technology, we can make that more and more clear and visible. And I think with modern technology, we see um, we're able to attract more female talent, which has been a problem for our industry. So I think for diversity in general, it's great. And that is an exciting future to me. It makes things a lot more interesting. Another aspect I see is the... In the, um, the role of technology to make things safer and, you know, coming from a, an industry where a lot of people get hurt every year with technology, we see every year we're able to make processes safer, um, to make machinery safer and keep our, our people healthy and safe. So in general, those three comments. Um, Another comment maybe is just this future that we talk about is not decades away. It's mm-hmm. happening right now. I mean, every day we see this happening uh, with our customers. So I'm very excited to, to be writing this future today, I mean, every day. 
So let's look at some of the segments that ABB is active in and starting with utilities. Um, so there we see massive changes on the grid with um, a fourth industrial revolution and this whole change that's happening in the energy space with renewals, re renewables getting deployed both at the mega side of the spectrum as well as the nano side of the spectrum. So um, both sides of, of the spectrum. We see with um, the ability to build digital substations, we can dramatically reduce the footprint and the space that we need for substations. We can build them faster. Um, we can reduce by 80% the amount of copper cables that go into these substations. And by using fiber optic sensors, we get increase in reliability, increase in effectiveness. Um, with utilities, a lot of money gets spent maintaining these assets. And today with software and with um, uh, sensors, we can determine very easily and very efficiently which pieces of equipment needs maintenance and when they need it. And it can be based on the criticality of the equipment. Mm -hmm. So dramatic savings is possible in the operations and maintenance of electric utilities, which will result in savings to the consumers, you know, which is absolutely a good thing. Um, also in the utility space, we see with battery prices falling that uh, battery storage becomes viable very quickly and that will really unlock the full potential of renewable energy sources and help mitigate some of the problems that it's caused on the grid. So another technology that, that really is changing the way we build electricity grids. If we look at industry, um, a lot of disruptive technology that, that are um, seen in industry, I think McKinsey did a report or a study that reported between four and $11 trillion of economic opportunity from technology in industry. And this is spanning connected robots, manufacturing execution systems, energy assessments, cybersecurity assessments, remote monitoring of industrial plants, uh, power quality management. There's many, many, many things. Um, maybe uh, robotics is one very interesting area, an area that many talk about. And, and there, we're really entering into an age where there's an acceleration of the deployment of, of robotics. Um, this has been coming for about 40 years that we've been building industrial robots. But I think with software and with sensors and modern vision technology, we're able to use these robots in a much smarter and a much more efficient way. So today we can take these robots out of their cages. We have robots that can work with humans um, and take away the menial tasks, um, and, but, but are safe and that won't harm, harm us when we work with them. And we see major shifts in the way we program robots um, and, and the ability that robots can learn and optimize themselves. You can even have one robot in, in one factory learn, learn from a robot in another factory how to do its process in the most efficient and most effective way. So big changes there. And then the third segment that we're active in is transport and infrastructure. With tremendous changes happening with electric vehicles, we see that completely changing the whole industry. Um, autonomous vehicles reshaping. I mean, we already see autonomous vehicles on the road. And um, this is just going to grow. Um, there's some predictions that say um, that... Uh, there will be 90 to 95% fewer cars on the roads um, in a few years from now. Um, so you can just imagine the impact that has on road, on just road construction and the amount of roads we need, the amount of sparking spaces we need. I think um, if autonomous vehicles are really taking off the effect on insurance companies, because mm -hmm. this will be much safer than, than we operate vehicles. 
Um, so insurance premiums are predicted to drop by 100%, which is quite an interesting <laughs> sector. Um, if you look at some other transportation applications, in Singapore we've got a, um, a center where we are monitoring fleets of ships and in real time monitoring the, f the fuel consumption of these ships, uh, monitoring the equipment on the ships, looking at tidal patterns, wave patterns, the load loading patterns of the ships uh, that come from the tilt sensors. Um, and then also knowing when each of the ships need to be at its destination. And then we can tell the ship in which direction to sail, at what speed, to minimize fuel consumption across an uh, entire fleet of ships, which results in dramatic savings. Uh, so a lot of exciting developments also in transport and infrastructure. Mm, that's also, you know, really, really interesting. But I just want to pick up on one point which you mentioned, which is robots. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it captures the imaginations of everyone, right, in the public. And there's one huge concern about automation and robots, is, and that is that it will kill jobs. And in some cases, kill people. Some people are concerned. Um, so, I mean, do we have to worry about this? And in what way can countries, governments and businesses... Um, you know, come to terms with the fact that robots are going to be part of, part of our workforce. And then do you think that today's workforce also have the skills that are needed to kind of adapt and change with this revolution? Yeah, so I think it's a topic that definitely needs attention. And, uh, you know, it's one thing that's 100% sure is that the way in which we work will continue to change. It's definitely not going to stay the same. But I don't, I'm not anxious about it. I don't, personally, I'm not anxious about it. And it's kind of ironic that it is, it's technology that's helped create this anxiety with the movie industry and with um, the way we communicate today that, you know, that has helped to drive an anxiety around jobs. Um, and I think painted a picture of especially robotics that is quite far removed from reality or at least what we see today. Um, so again, throughout history, um, jobs have changed. And I mean, I just, I mean, just one example I can think of, we don't have switchboard operators today that we had some years back, you know. So that's been throughout human history, jobs have come and gone, you know, and things have changed as technology develops. The pace is increasing and we have to prepare ourselves for it. That, that's for sure. Um, so to talk a little bit more about robotics and just to put that into perspective, um, at the... Today, we have about 70 industrial robots for every 10,000 workers around the world on average. Um, and you find that in, in countries like Korea and Japan, they are leading. So in, in a country like Korea, we've got more than 500 robots per 10,000 workers, just to put that in perspective. In Japan and Germany, around 300. Singapore is around 300, 400 uh, robots for every 10,000 industrial workers. But then you get countries like Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, where it's between 20 and 30. And even in a country like China, which is by far the biggest consumer of industrial robots today, more than half of all robots deployed every year is being deployed in China. But still in China, we have a robot density of around 36 per 10,000 workers. So it's not that many. And interestingly, the countries with the higher robot densities have the least unemployment and they are economically quite prosperous countries. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. And I'm not saying everything's going to be the same as it has been in history, but you can't change these numbers that fast. Mm -hmm. um, so there is time to adjust and time to adapt. And I think that there's generally a positive. I think if we don't deploy robotics, there's some industries that will die in high cost countries mm -hmm. and would simply not be able to exist. 
Um, so I think that's just a normal part of innovation. Um, how do we prepare for this? So I think what we need more than anything, I mean, of course, there's the hard skills and there's people that need to know how to build and design robots. There's people that need to know how to program them. But that's not going to be the majority of the jobs. I think creativity is going to be more important than ever to be taught in schools and how to use this huge array of tools that we have in your smartphone. And that, I mean, you could probably in, in the coming few years buy in, uh, a robot for your home over the internet. You know, it's going to be cheap. But how do we use these things creatively and how do we use them in a positive way that contributes and adds value. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think those are some of the questions that we have to ask. And I think systems thinking and uh, integrated thinking, I think business model thinking, these are all skills that people have to learn because business models are changing dramatically and, and the way in which we transact. And we can see this with Uber and Airbnb and all those examples that are quoted so often. Mm -hmm. So there's something on there that you said which I want to expand on. That really is creativity because the fourth industrial revolution is very much technology driven. And part of the anxiety, apart from robots, is also the anxiety that we will lose touch of nature or things like empathy. And I think there's this conversation now about how mm. does creative creativity mm. come in um, in arts-based sectors, you know, education, you mentioned creative industries, activism, and also this very important issue of inequality. Will we then have society dividing along the lines of have and have nots, people who have technology and people who don't? How do we ensure that everybody gets access to technology? And how do we ensure that the creative side of humans and the mm. art artistic side of humans are not left behind? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I think the more technology we have, the more important it's going to be to be human, you know, and, and the more emphasis will be placed on the things that only humans can have and can be. So I totally agree with you. Creativity, art, um, compassion, you know, grace and mercy and things like that. Robots will never have that. You know, those are human qualities that is going to become more and more and more important. And hopefully we can utilize more of those things. Hopefully, yes. And less of the things that, that can be mechanized and, you know, the mind-numbing kind of repetitive, unsafe work that many people are doing. So I think that is a very positive mm -hmm. thing. And um, how to make sure people are not getting left behind and that we are inclusive. Well, personally, that's something that's very close to my heart. I, I really think that there, there's so much more we can do to make sure people don't get left behind and that this growth is inclusive. And I think we need to sit and think very carefully about how to drive this and how to develop um, economies, how to develop industry segments and so on. I see one very interesting trend that... I think employees, the future workers of, of the workers of tomorrow, are going to be much more vocal and have much more say in how things are getting done. So I think I see kind of a shift in power from shareholders to employees and companies that are not acting responsibly and that are not doing the right thing um, are going to struggle to find people to work for them. You know, that in in future and with communication becoming more pervasive and even in in relatively um, underdeveloped countries, people have access to information and it's going to be difficult to keep hiding that from people. So I, I think even in underdeveloped countries, you'll see increasingly employees not wanting to work for companies that, where there's not the right leadership, mm -hmm. where they're not standing for the right causes and inclusivity will be one of those. Sustainability will be another one of those topics. Do you see the private sector playing a role in ensuring that technology is you know, accessible for all? How does ABB do that? 
Absolutely. I, I, I think private sector has a massive role to play. I, I think governments need to make sure that there's regulation in place and they play very much in the space of what cannot be done, you know, and what are the things that we need to prevent to, to keep ourselves safe. And it, it's, we've always done that. I mean, a simple thing like speed limits on roads, you know, technology today makes it possible to drive at 500 kilometers an hour on a road. It's possible. Mm-hmm. But governments come and said, you can't do that because you're going to hurt somebody. So that's the role of government. Industry and private sector, I think, talks more about what's possible and coming up with new solutions. And and that can be done to drive positive change. Um, and you know, one little example that I can think of offhand is uh, using solar power to power pumps to pump up water from boreholes in India. You know, so in many many of the communities, we can now, if I remember the figure correctly, it's less than three hundred dollars for an efficient solar pump. You know, that doesn't need a connection to electricity grid to to get fresh water to people. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, helps, and, and that's the kind of technology that, that will continue to help people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what's really interesting, you know, is that this revolution is going on, right? And I, I'm really curious as to what you think, you know, is the application or solution that you're most hopeful about that can deliver the most impactful change in terms of development, like improving people's lives? Is there one technology, one solution, one aspect of this revolution that you are particularly moved by? It's difficult to pick one. Um, One thing is for sure, technology on its own can't do anything. It it needs to be managed and it's an enabler um, and empowering people to do things. so besides the things that we've mentioned already, I, I still would come back to data. I think da- data and the data that's be- that will become available to people, um, data, for example, on, on your home and just the appliances in your home and how the energy consumption, the common footprint of, of what you do at, at your home and, and putting that power into your hands to select the right kind of equipment and to use them in the right way. That is incredibly powerful. So I think that's... One piece of technology that I think, yeah, that that really puts the power in the hands of consumers and that they can make informed decisions um, and hopefully with with the right kind of insight. Um, Yeah, I don't want to speak against the advertising (laughs) industry, but, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's incredible when people really have authentic data in their hands and can make an informed decision based based on data. Mm -hmm. So I think that's... Um, very interesting, very exciting. And, and where does that happen in ABB? We've got a um, very exciting platform, ABB Ability. That's our digital platform. And we have already more than 250 different software solutions or services that's available today mm-hmm. from ABB that puts, does exactly that, that puts control, that puts data in the hands of consumers, of industrial users, so that they can run their plant more efficiently, that they can optimize things, that they can save energy to make things visible, you know, that they can improve productivity, all of that in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. Just to expand on that a little, you know, some people say that the challenge of collecting data and sharing data is things like privacy or security and, you know, there might be organizations that own a lot of data like Google mm. or Facebook, mm. they don't necessarily share that data. So how do you see the industry addressing those challenges to make sure that everybody can have access to data and make the data work for us? Yeah, I think that's absolutely critical. Um, that, well, firstly, regulations are put in place and that companies deal responsibly with data. And I, again, I don't see consumers will put up with 
companies exploiting data in a in an unfair way or in a in a way that that drives unwanted behavior and you know, and, and make un, um, how can I say unjustified profit out of data and of course everybody's trying to do that. I think it has to be carefully managed, but I am quite confident that consumers and future employees of these companies are going to demand that these things are managed in a responsible way. And we already see that today. Mm, fantastic. Yeah. So we're going to come to the end of this podcast. But before that, I'm dying to ask this question because you touched on this before, you know, with the movie industry. And there is so much literature, science fiction and the film industry out there that's trying to depict the future. And if you watch Back to the Future or like, you know, some of the um, films that, you know, when we were growing up, we were watching, the stuff was coming true. You know, we're yes. seeing robots, we're seeing drones, we're seeing yeah. AI, we're seeing machines beat human intelligence. So, yeah. I mean, what is your favorite film or book or, or piece of literature and, and do you think it's you know an accurate depiction of what's to come <laughs> yeah it's difficult to pick one i i'm not sure many of these movies have helped a lot in the, <laughs> okay. in the recent past you know matrix and all of these movies are i think scaring people more than okay. kind of speaking about the possibilities of technology and and you know the exciting future that there is but i mean i love adventure movies so whether that's space exploration and discovering new things or and movies like braveheart and gladiator <laughs> that talks about i mean the, the human side of us um now, that's the kind of movies that I like. I, but I would say the theme for me is adventure. Okay. I hate dull and boring <laughs> and just repeating history. I mean, that, nobody wants to live there. So I think technology opens up new frontiers, I mean, much to be explored. Mm-hmm. So it's not just for technology for the sake of the solutions that we need for tomorrow, but it also opens up with artificial intelligence, with um, you know, space exploration with new ways of transport, uh, transportation, of exploring the Earth, of analyzing science. I think there's a massive amount of new avenues opening up for us to explore this world that we're in mm-hmm. and to continue to make it a better place for everyone. Fantastic. So before we wrap up, are there any um, final thoughts on the fourth industrial revolution that you would like to share with our readers, especially in ABB's role? I think the future is exciting and we're, I, I'm personally very happy to be part of a technology company like ABB, um, busy writing the future. I mean, it would be terrible to stand on the sidelines and watch this all happen and we're right in the middle of it. And to do that in Southeast Asia is, is doubles the fun because this is such a dynamic place. It's a place where people are generally very open to adopt technology and, and using that with a relatively young um, uh, demographic profile. So I'm excited and very positive about the future and I think it holds much promise and much good. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Johan. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. But thank you very much for giving us such an insightful look into the future and how ABB can play a role. This podcast series has been made possible with the support of ABB and we hope to have you back here soon again and we would love to encourage our readers to subscribe to our podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was hosted by EcoBusiness at the SDG Co, a co-working space and hub for collaboration on sustainable development here in Singapore and Asia-Pacific. EcoBusiness is the leading media organisation on responsible business, clean tech and sustainable development serving the Asia-Pacific community. This episode is part of the Let's Write the Future podcast series supported by ABB. 
Join the conversation by visiting us at eco-business.com. Subscribe to our newsletter, which brings you interesting news and events from around the region. Thank you for listening and watch out for our next podcast. Thank you.